This morning, we're going to have a scripture reading. It'll come from Acts chapter 13. If you have your Bible, please open there. Acts chapter 13. And we're going to be reading from verse 30 through verse 33. Acts chapter 13, verses 30 through 33. This is a sermon that was being preached to some people 2,000 years ago. And part of the sermon goes this way, beginning in Acts chapter 13, verse 30. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We're really glad that you've joined us this morning to worship God with us. We're thankful that you're participating with us in this. It's Sunday, it's the first day of the week. And ever since New Testament Christianity began, Christians have always gathered together on the first day of the week. Have you ever wondered why that happens, why that's true? The Bible says that it was on the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. Matthew chapter 28 verses one and two teach that. And not only that, but the church began about 50 days later on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Bible tells us that it was on the first day of the week, the day of Pentecost, when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came rushing upon the apostles. And they were all filled with uh, the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they preached a gospel sermon on that day. It was a Sunday. And people listened to the gospel, and they obeyed. They were baptized and they became the very first church. And ever since that time, Christians have gathered together on the first day of every week. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2, Acts chapter 20 verse 7. And on the first day of the week, we remember that our Savior is risen. That our Savior came out of that tomb never to die again. When we talk about the resurrection of the dead... It's, a, it's amazing to think about what Jesus did because there had been other resurrections in history. Other people by the power of God had come back from the dead. But what was interesting about every one of those people was that they all died again. So people that had died and then were raised by a miracle, eventually they died again. What was unique about Jesus' resurrection is that he is the first person who ever died and rose never to die again. And when you think about that truth, it's amazing. It's almost incomprehensible. Even people 2,000 years ago who were hearing this for the first time, they found this just outrageous, unbelievable. Nobody rises from the dead. You know, in our American culture, we've kind of sanitized death. And what I mean by that is we, we don't see it as kind of a daily reality, most of us. Depending on what occupation career we're in, we don't deal with death on a daily basis. But in a culture 2,000 years ago where people saw people who had died and you had to physically take care of some of the things that took place when someone left this world, the idea that someone who had died would come back, that was just, again, unbelievable. 
And so on one occasion, a little girl had died and Jesus came to raise her from the dead. And before he did so, he said in Mark 5, verses 39 and 40, this little girl is not dead, but sleeping. Why are you making this commotion? And the people who knew what death was all about, because they had seen it, they'd experienced it. They laughed at Jesus, it says. They laughed him to scorn, another translation tells us. And they put, Jesus put them all outside and just took her parents, this little girl's parents and three of his disciples. And he raised that little girl from the dead. Others found this to be incredulous. In Matthew 22, verse 23, there was a sect of the Jews 2,000 years ago who called themselves the Sadducees. And one of the planks of their platform, in fact, this was their agenda in life. These particular Jews wanted people to know that there was no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And so they came to Jesus with a question about that, about this lady who'd been married multiple times and in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? They didn't believe that there was such a thing. In Luke 24, verses 10 and 11, on the day when Jesus was raised from the dead, some women came to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. And the Bible says that they were told to go back and tell what they had seen, this empty tomb, he is risen. Go tell the apostles. Now you think about it, the apostles were close to Jesus, closer than anybody else. And Jesus had not exactly made it a secret that he was going to die and rise again. Read Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, for example. Jesus had said repeatedly during his ministry that he was going to die on a cross and he was going to be raised on the third day. But when these women came back to the apostles, look at their reaction. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the other women, they told these things to the apostles. The apostles said, this seems like an idle tale and they did not believe them. So even though they'd been explicitly told that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, when they heard the news, Unbelievable. Who could believe this? In Acts chapter 17, verse 32, Paul went to Athens, Greece and preached to some philosophers. These people had never heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they'd certainly never heard about Jesus Christ. What do you think was important for those people to hear the very first time they heard the gospel presented? Paul talked about the God of heaven who he is and what he's all about. And as Paul concluded his sermon, he talked about how Jesus had been raised from the dead. We're gonna talk more about that in just a few moments. But what was the reaction of those philosophers? They listened to everything that Paul said. A lot of what he said was controversial because they didn't have the same views and the same ideas that Paul did. But in Acts chapter 17, verse 32, when these philosophers heard of the resurrection of the dead, the Bible says some mocked. They just, they wouldn't even entertain the idea that Jesus was risen. They wouldn't even entertain the notion that somehow somebody had died and came back from the dead. That went against Greek thought as much as it did the thought of the Sadducees who were Jews. And others said, we'll hear you again about this. We want to hear a little bit more. Maybe they were kind of doing it in pride, but whatever their motives were, we just want to hear a little bit more about these things. In Acts chapter 23, verse 6, Paul was arrested by the Jews because he was preaching Christ. And the Bible says that when, when Paul looked around and he saw that some of the Jews there were Sadducees, we talked about them a moment ago, some were Pharisees, Paul decided that he was going to stir up controversy 
because the controversy was already there. So Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees, the other Pharisees, and so he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and it's with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And if you read on in that passage, there was a big controversy that ensued because all of a sudden, everybody who had been looking at Paul started looking at each other and arguing about this doctrine. Do people rise from the dead? So many people in the ancient world said, no way, not possible, never would happen. Now, when you think about what's remarkable about New Testament Christianity, the one thing that becomes more and more clear, especially as you read the book of Acts, which is a history of early Christianity, when you read the book of Acts, they were constantly preaching, yes, nobody rises from the dead, but Jesus did. He's the one who died and rose never to die again. And you need to put your faith and trust in him. That's what's consistently preached from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28, the entire book. And you read the rest of the New Testament, same doctrine, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Luke begins writing the book of Acts and he says, Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs. Another translation of the English Bible says by many infallible proofs. Jesus showed up after he rose from the dead and he proved to witnesses that he had come back from the grave. He appeared to them for 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, it says in Acts 1 verse 3. You turn over to Acts chapter 2 and at the first time people heard the gospel, the good news preached. This is the core, this is the essence of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 31 and 32. God, or excuse me, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. He's talking about something David wrote prophetically a thousand years prior to these words. David had written about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And Peter says to his audience 2,000 years ago, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we, the apostles, are all witnesses. We've seen him. We've spoken with him. He did not end his existence on that cross. He rose from the dead. In Acts 4, verses 10 and 11, when they were on trial again with some Jews who didn't like what was being done, what was being preached, they didn't like the miracles that were being done. In Acts chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says, Peter says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. They had done a miracle in the name of Jesus. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and it has become the chief cornerstone. You rejected the Lord, but God raised him from the dead. That was the message of the apostles. When we stop and think about these principles and these ideas, that Jesus was raised from the dead, we need to connect some dots. When I was a kid, I used to like to play connect the dots. I'd, I'd get a piece of paper that, that had been already arranged and somebody had, had had a design in mind and you would start at dot number one and you'd go to dot number two. And then you go to dot number three. And a lot of times, if you've ever done a connect the dots, the dots don't fit exactly where you think they should fit. A lot of times I would think, well, dot number two needs to be right here. But if you don't connect the dots, if you don't follow from one to two to two to three to three to four, you're going to miss the design that was intended. 
The same thing is true about Scripture. And when we think about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, so many people are concerned about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, which is a wonderful thing, but we need to connect the dots. We need to allow ourselves to listen to what the Scripture says regarding what this means. What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? Why don't we let the Bible tell us? Does that sound like a good approach? Let's let the Bible instruct us and inform us what does the resurrection of Jesus imply? What does it mean? Let's let the Bible connect the dots for us this morning. I would say this before we begin. We're going to look at four areas, four truths that are connected directly to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But there are many, many more principles and truths and doctrines connected to Jesus' resurrection than just the four we're looking at this morning. As a matter of fact, it could be said legitimately that every New Testament doctrine is in some way connected to the resurrection of Jesus. I want us to look this morning at four. What does it mean that he lives? What does that imply for my life and for yours? What truths should we glean as we connect the dots together? The first truth, because he lives, is the truth that there is power in baptism. There's power in baptism. What I mean by that is there is some significance in the very act of being baptized because of what Jesus did when he rose from the dead. And it's not just me saying that, the Bible teaches that very clearly. Let's look at three passages together. Power in baptism because of the resurrection. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Peter brings up Noah and the ark. You remember Noah. He built a boat and he saved all the animals and his family on the boat. And Peter says they were delivered by water. It was by water that they were delivered out of a world of sin and into a world of righteousness. And then Peter goes on in 1 Peter 3 verse 21 and he says, baptism, he's writing to Christians now, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain to you what Peter's doing here. He's saying that when people who are lost come to God and are baptized, that it's because of the resurrection of Christ that there is power in that baptism. He said it's not the fact that, you know, you've been working and you've gotten all sweaty and dirty and that, that the water of baptism is washing the filth of the flesh away. He says we're responding and we're appealing for a good conscience to God. And what he's doing is connecting our baptism to the resurrection. It's through the resurrection, through what Jesus did, that baptism has meaning and significance. Another passage in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul writes these words, we have been buried with him in baptism. Jesus died and he was buried and we were buried with him when we were baptized, Paul says, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So there's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Connect the dots. Follow where God wants you to go. God says, I raised Jesus from the dead. And he says, when you rise up out of those waters of baptism, 
I will raise you from spiritual death. Like a lot of people, I've been doing some home remodeling since all of this began. We're at home a lot and there are some things, projects that we wanted to get done around the house. And so why not? You're cooped up in the house for 24 hours a day. If you go down to Home Depot, you'll find on the electrical aisle that there are a lot of electrical outlets. They've, they've got them in boxes, dozens of them. I am not afraid in the least to reach in and grab one of those electrical outlets, put it in my basket and go check out because there's no power connected. I'm not at all afraid because there's no wires, there's no power connected to those outlets. But when that outlet is in a wall and there are obviously wires connected to that outlet, I am extremely cautious about what I do. I want to find the circuit breakers and turn those off and I still am kind of leery about touching those outlets because the power is important. You know, the same thing is, same principle, same concept is true about baptism. There's power in baptism. Just because somebody is immersed doesn't mean that there was any power. But watch Colossians 2 verse 12. When I am baptized and there is faith in the working of God, my faith is like those wires that are connected to that outlet. My faith is what allows God's power to work. I believe that God is raising me from the dead with Christ when I'm being baptized. There's power in baptism when we believe that what God has promised is true. In Romans 6 verses 4 and 5, we were buried, Paul says, therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, there's the resurrection of Christ again, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So what Paul is saying is, before I'm baptized, I die with Christ. In baptism, I am buried with Christ. And in baptism, I am raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. Let me illustrate that a little bit more clearly. The Bible teaches that Jesus died on a cross, that he was buried in a tomb and that he was raised on the third day. What does that resurrection mean for you and me? It means there's power in baptism because when I die to sin and when I am buried in that water and when I am raised up out of that water, I am uniting with Christ in his death, in his burial and in his resurrection. There's power in baptism. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Connect the dots. Listen to what scripture teaches about the significance of Christ's resurrection. God wants to save people. And baptism is the time, it's the point at which people who are lost come into contact with the saving power of God. And all of that is true and made possible because Jesus rose from the dead. Follow the scriptures, connect the dots. What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? Not only is there power in baptism, but there's also a certainty of judgment. One day, friends, you and I are going to stand before the creator of the world. And the way that we know that's true, the way that we know that's certain is because Jesus rose from the dead. You remember Paul that I mentioned a moment ago, preaching to those philosophers in Athens, Greece? 
They had learned about all of the philosophies of the world and they were just gathering together to hear some new thing. And they heard Paul saying some things that were strange to their ears. And so they invited him to come and speak. And as Paul concluded his sermon to those philosophers on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, here is what he said. This is the end of his sermon as far as the Bible records it. Paul says, these times of ignorance, Acts 17 verse 30, God overlooked, but now God commands all people everywhere to repent because, watch the logic, he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There's a day when you and I are going to meet our maker. And the resurrection of Christ is the guarantee, it's the promise that that's going to happen. The fact that Jesus arose means that we're going to stand before God in judgment one day. Notice as you look at this passage, judgment day is set by God. When I go to the dentist or I go to the doctor, they'll say, what day would you like your appointment to be? And I'll tell them, well, this day would be good for me. That time would be good for me. And they'll try to work with me and accommodate me according to their schedule. That's not the way the judgment will be. The judgment is an appointment set by God. And he doesn't ask us when it's going to be convenient for us. Not only that, but the judgment day is inevitable. The fact that Jesus rose never to die again means that you and I are going to stand before God one day. It's inevitable. It is mandatory attendance. There will be no excuses. There will be no distancing. None of those things will matter because God has set a day and he's guaranteed that he's going to judge the world. By the way, that day we are going to be judged fairly. Notice the Bible says here that God's going to judge the world in righteousness. God will not make a mistake. He will not overlook a fact or a detail about our lives, about our experiences. He has perfect and complete knowledge of everything about us. His judgment will be a righteous judgment. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees that's so. Another passage along these lines. In Acts 10 verses 40 through 42, Peter was preaching to Cornelius and here's what he said. God raised Jesus on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. There's a great day coming. It's in all of our future. Our destiny, our fate hangs in the balance. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that that day will happen. And it proves that God is going to judge us, the living and the dead. We need to think about these things, connect the dots. The fact that Jesus arose gives us hope and encouragement. And it's a, it, it's a thought about renewal and, and new opportunities. Those are all true. But it's also true that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our judgment one day, according to Scripture. Number three. As you think about what the resurrection means, because he lives, all the dead will rise again. Now stop and think with me for just a moment. Everybody who has ever died in all the ages, in all the eras of this world, every human being who has ever died is going to rise from the dead one day. And the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that that will happen. 
Follow the dots, connect them with me. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14, God raised the Lord, Paul writes. He's talking about God the Father raising the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a consequence, will also raise us up by his power. He's not talking about what we were mentioning back in Romans 6 at this point. He's not talking about a spiritual renewal, a spiritual resurrection that happens in baptism. No, he's talking about being raised from the dead. After our souls leave our bodies one day, there will be a time when the dead will rise. The same power of the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise us. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 14, similarly, Paul writes, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul was looking forward to a reunion. He was looking forward to all those that he had preached to and that had obeyed the gospel being with him in the presence of God. He was looking forward to a happy reunion. And the basis for his hope, the basis for his confidence was the fact that God had raised the Lord Jesus and has promised to raise us with the Lord Jesus. Another passage along these lines in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 and 21. In fact, Paul writes, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. Let's follow the logic here for just a moment. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We don't think much about first fruits, but that's the very, very first production of the harvest. And so maybe about this time of year, people started in Israel 2000 years ago. They started to receive the very first harvest. The wheat had been growing, the fruit had been growing on the trees and it was finally getting to be time to harvest for the first time. And what the Jews would do, they were commanded by God to take the very first fruits the very first of, the, of what had been pr produced, and they were to offer that to God as a sacrifice of gratitude, of thanksgiving for God who had produced a harvest. And, and the, the first fruits, the very first part of the crop, that was a implied promise that there was going to be a lot of a harvest after those first fruits. In the same vein, in the same way, Jesus is the first person who ever rose from the dead never to die again, but he's not by far the last. He is merely the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He guarantees that everybody else who has ever died will similarly come back as he has, that we will rise from the dead one day. Even Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29, he said that those who are in the graves will one day hear my voice and they will rise some, those who have done good to a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation. But the fact that Jesus rose means all the dead will rise again one day. It's a promise. It affects our future destiny. Number four, what does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? Because he lives, friends, there is hope for all the world. We're thinking a lot about hope right now. I don't know about you, but I'm on an emotional roller coaster as we deal with this pandemic and we deal with being quarantined. Some days I'm really sad. Some, day, some days I'm irritated. 
Some days I'm just downright angry about a lot of things. Is this even a good idea? Is this a, 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 right, a right approach to all this? Some days I'm glad and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be with my family more. Some days I'm just dealing with things as best I can. But when we stop and think about hope, the whole world is hoping. Hopefully one day we'll get back to normal, whatever that is. Hopefully one day things will return to the way they used to be. God hasn't made us any promises to that effect. He hasn't said, if you'll just be faithful to me, I'll guarantee that I'll return things to the way they were on February 15th. No, what God has done, though, is he's promised a different kind of hope. And we need to listen very carefully because a lot of us don't think we need this. A lot of us don't think that this is applicable to us. Or if it is, we're just going to kind of assume that it applies to us. Listen. Our scripture reading was out of Acts 13 a few moments ago. Listen to what the apostles taught. In Acts 13, verses 37 through 39, after preaching a sermon about how Jesus had risen from the dead, and again, that was consistently what they preached everywhere they went. Christ is risen, Christ is risen, Christ is risen. And then they would make applications. Watch the application that's made here in Acts 13, 37. He whom God raised up did not see corruption. He's talking about Jesus. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So the early Christians were preaching this doctrine that there's hope for all the world. Because of the resurrection of the dead, because Jesus lives, there's hope for everybody. And the hope specifically in this passage is that I and you and everybody else can have and obtain forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins, that's something that can only happen in the mind of God. That's something that can only happen in God's way of thinking. I can't just assume that I have forgiveness of sins and neither can you because it may or may not be true in God's mind, but there's hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we now can have and obtain forgiveness of sins truly. His resurrection gives us hope. Whatever I've done, however I have displeased God, however I have offended him, the things that I've done that have hurt other people, I can, I can find forgiveness because Jesus has risen. Secondly, as you think about the hope for all the world, in Romans chapter four, verse 25, Paul was writing about how we become right with God. And he says this, it will be counted to us, righteousness will, to who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus Christ, by coming back from the dead, allows us in God's grand scheme of redemption to be justified, to stand before God and to appear before him as if we were not guilty, that sin had never affected us. Because of his resurrection, that can be true. There's hope for all the world. Listen to what Peter wrote to his brethren in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
Not just I hope so. I hope they release everybody to go back to work in a couple of weeks. I hope that the pandemic dis- dissipates and that no- nobody else is affected. I hope those things. This is a living hope. There is reality. There's something concrete about this hope. What kind of living hope is it? It's a living hope that's guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what specifically is involved in that living hope? There is, for those who obey God, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You don't have to worry about it like you worry about your 401k. You don't have to worry about it like you worry about the stock market and are my investments going to hold up in this environment. No, this inheritance will never lose its value. It will never diminish. It is unfading. And it is reserved in the very safest place, not some bank somewhere. It's reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's telling Christians, you're rich beyond compare because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We need to preach and to teach more about how the resurrection impacts people's lives. And more than that, we need to think personally about how the resurrection impacts our lives. Because Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago on a Sunday morning, not only does that affect when we meet and how we meet, but it also affects our future and our hope. And it affects how we become New Testament Christians. Connect the dots. Follow what scripture teaches about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead because it makes a profound difference in how we live our lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I have a hope of an inheritance eternal and undefiled. Sometimes people ask this question, what must I do? I want the forgiveness that that was preached about, and I want, the, I want the salvation and the inheritance that the Bible talks about. What must I do to become a Christian? What must I do to obey the gospel and to walk in the way that God would have me to go? In the first place, it's important that we want God's forgiveness. If we don't think we've done anything wrong, if we don't think there's anything in our lives that needs to change, if we don't think there's anything about us that's really offensive to God or has somehow wronged Him, then nothing else we do is really going to matter in this regard. I need to desire God's forgiveness. By him, forgiveness of sins is preached to you. I need to desire that. The Bible says I need to believe in Jesus Christ. Very specifically, he's the only one that can save us. And the reason why is because he's the only one that's ever come back from the dead, never to die again, Acts 13, verse 39. We need to believe that. We need to die to sin. You remember that picture of baptism in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 3? Sin's not something that's okay with God now that I've become a Christian. No, I'm saying I'm dying to sin. I'm putting it away. I don't want to be the kind of person I used to be. I want to live for God now. I want to serve Him. Die to sin. Change your mind about it. I'm going to live His way, not my own. The Bible says we need to be buried with Christ and raised with him through baptism. It's not the water that saves us, but the Bible teaches that there is a point in time when we find the power of God raising us spiritually from the dead. And that point in time is repeatedly connected to the act of baptism. 
What washes away our sin? The blood of Jesus washes away our sin. When does the blood of Jesus wash away our sin? When we die to our sins and are buried and raised with Christ in baptism. And then the Bible says we need to walk in newness of life, Romans 6 verse 5. Our lifestyle changes because we serve a risen Savior. Because he loves us, he cares for us, the judgment day is looming before all of us, and we're going to meet him in glory one day and receive our inheritance, eternal and undefiled. Maybe you are thinking about becoming a New Testament Christian. I'd love to visit with you more about these matters. Send me an email. My email address is on the screen, jbaker at katychurchofchrist.com. Send our associate minister, Jordan, an email, jmore at katychurchofchrist.com. We'd love to visit with you about these matters. Thank you so much for listening. May the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, change the way that you and I and all of us live our lives this week. Let's sing together.